Welcome to the Future of Ground Transportation podcast, where we discuss the exciting innovations that lie ahead for organizational ground transportation. Each episode, we cover topics tailored to those resolving transportation-related challenges and provide tips, tools, and trends that will inspire you to stay ahead of the curve. And now, here's your host, Daniel Perez. Welcome to the Future of Grand Transportation. Today, we have a special guest, Paul Comfer. Paul serves as the Senior Vice President and Chief Customer Officer for Modaxo Americans, one of the world's largest transit technology companies. It is the host of the industry-leading public transportation podcast, Transit Unplugged. Mr. Paul, thank you for, for being in the show today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure having you here today, Paul. So, so Paul, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get started in the in the public transportation sector and just overall about your background, Paul? Sure, absolutely. So uh, the year was 1987. Were you born then, Dan? I was born in 1987. All right. So that's the year I graduated from college, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Uh, I had run for county commissioner the year before at age 21 and had lost, but won for Democratic Central Committee and uh, made friends with um, people who were running for office. And one of them was the director of the Department of Aging for my county. And I knew I wanted to be involved in local government. I felt like that's where the action was. That's where I could help the most people. And so um, this guy, Irving Pinder, after we both lost our races for office, you know, got to know me and he said, hey, you know, I'd love to have you come work for our Department of Aging. I have two jobs open. One runs the senior centers and one is a brand new position. We have enough vans now taking people to the doctor and the senior centers, et cetera, that I need somebody to coordinate it all. We have a grant to fund it. It's not insured more than one year, but we have a one-year grant for the position. Which one would you like to do? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Which one do you think I should do? He said, why don't you try the transportation one? You know, it's new and you can make your mark in that. And here I am, Dan, 35 years later, still in this industry. And um, so I've basically worked a number of jobs over the years, went to law school, became an attorney, 35 years, yeah. Um, and uh, worked about half the time in the private sector, working for private companies that manage city transit systems, about half the time in the public sector. Back in um, 2015, our governor, Larry Hogan, appointed me as CEO of the MTA, the Maryland Transit Administration in Baltimore where I ran uh, the bus service, the light rail system, the commuter rail system into Washington, D.C. called Mark. We had 350 motor coaches that we contracted with for commuter bus service into Annapolis, Baltimore, and D.C. Paratransit service, the fourth largest paratransit system in the nation with about 8,000 trips a day uh, and, um, and you know regular bus service. So we had six different modes, a multimodal system, and we had an $800 million operating budget, billion-dollar capital budget, uh, or thereabouts. And uh, it was a big, big operation. We had 3,300 employees, a couple thousand contractors. Uh, we did a bunch of things. We, um, By the time I left, we had the best safety record, the lowest amount of crime out of any of the America's top 12 transportation systems. We had the lowest number of part one crimes. We had zero murders, zero rapes, zero shootings on the system in Baltimore City, mind you, uh, during the time when I was there. And uh, I I credit that a lot to uh, our outstanding deployment of safety officers throughout the system. 
We also rebooted our entire bus network, uh, a la Houston style. And uh, we um, basically analyzed where people wanted to go today and changed the routes overnight to get them there. Did a lot of other fun things. And then about six years ago, after I left there, after 30 years in the industry, I went into the private sector and uh, for the last five years have been in this role with Trapeze Group and now Medaxa, the parent company, as basically their industry ambassador, their goodwill ambassador. So I also wear the hat as the executive director of the North American Transit Alliance, which represents uh, the five largest contracting companies in the industry. That would be TransDev, which just bought First Transit, Keolis, National Express, RATP Dev, and MV Transportation. Um, and so the CEOs of those group uh, formed an industry association, just like an airline association, and hired me as the executive director several years ago. I also speak at conferences around the world. I've spoken at uh, probably 120 conferences over the last 18 months around the world on transit trends. Uh, next week, I'll be in Miami speaking at CoMotion Miami and doing a book launch of my new cookbook, which is called Comfort Food. And I happen to have the author's copy right here. Okay. And it includes recipes from uh -huh. includes recipes from uh, 35 CEOs and transit uh, experts around the world on all kinds of different foods and fun. I've been trying to, as I mentioned to you in the green room, Dan, I've been trying to, um, you know, I have a podcast, Transit Unplugged, which is heard in 130 countries around the world where I interview CEOs of transit systems. And now a TV show called Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube. We visit a different city every month, and we kind of do Anthony Bourdain style. We dive into the food, the culture, and the transit of a city. That's the, that's the angle, the different angle. And so I've been trying to work food into every episode, and so that's kind of super cool. So that's a little bit about my background. I live in Maryland, married, awesome. my high school sweetheart. We have six children and eight grandchildren, and uh, one of my grandbabies is downstairs right now. Hopefully she'll be here when, uh, when we're done this. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing that he was showing you background. So, Paul, uh, one of the things that that I that caught my attention is I always tell all my mentees and all my associates that I lost all my hair in the uh, transportation sector, but you're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. I'm actually jealous of guys with that have better hair than me. But uh, <laughs> that's the one. I have very good uh, self esteem and good confidence, but the one area. Actually, I don't know if you could tell, but I'm growing my hair really long in the back uh, to kind of compensate for how short it is up front now. But uh, that's hilarious that you shaved my son's done that, gone completely bald because he was losing his hair. You're doing really good. So, Paul, uh, walk us a little bit uh, backwards and like, what, how were you able to sort of move the ladder through going from private sectors to the public sector and accomplish the success that you had through your career to get to where you are now. So I outlined it all in my book, Full Throttle, my very first book that I wrote within a year after leaving the MTA. Basically, I had a bunch of stories and lessons I had learned. And um, here's my overall theory, Dan. And all these books, by the way, are available on Amazon. Um, my theory is that and I've taught this at college graduations, commencement speeches at high school, et cetera, is that each of us have a competency, something that we're, you know, some things that we're good at, right? There's books you can do. There's one book called Strength Finder, which is a really good book to analyze what you're good at. Or you just take an aptitude test at a local community college or online, figure out what you're good at. And then you figure out 
what you're interested in. What are my interests? What, what am I passionate about? And where those two intersect, that's the X spot. I believe that's your destiny. That's how you know what your destiny is. It's what, it's not what your mom says you're good at because your mom thinks you're good at everything, but what you're recognized as good at and then what your interests are. If you can figure out where they intersect, uh, that is where you should focus your life's work. And as they say, you know, if you do that, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I don't know if that's true. I, I, I'm very busy. I normally have six to eight and 10 plates spinning at the same time, metaphorically speaking. It's not all fun, uh, but it is, um, it is fulfilling. And so uh, what I've done in my career basically is I've lived, I've lived what this book says, full throttle. And uh, full throttle meaning, you know, just what it sounds like it means. You're in a boat, you put the throttle all the way forward, and you go as hard and as fast as you can. Uh, and that's the way I've lived my life. I've lived it without fear. Uh, I'm not afraid of the consequences because I believe that I'm doing the right thing for the right purposes. And I believe, you know, I believe in God and I believe he's looking out for me. And uh, I've been knocked out of the boat a few times because I've been going full throttle and caused a wake when I shouldn't have. And uh, but you know what? My friends, my competencies, and I think the blessing of God has helped me get back in another boat. Uh, and so I think life's too short to not be swinging for the fences every time you get up the bat. Now, that doesn't mean you're an idiot. That doesn't mean you go up there and you're not trained. You know, you don't have a plan. You don't, you know, no, it means you do have a plan. You focus on your skills. You're constantly building yourself up, uh, you know, not ego-wise, but I mean the knowledge and skills and all that. You're constantly improving yourself. My dad taught me to do. And so, uh, you know, that's why I went to law school. I went to law school at night for four years. It was miserable miserable, miserable to work all day long, you know, and then drive to Baltimore City and go to and uh, go to law school at night. They taught the Socratic method, which is idiotic, in my opinion, where they ask you to tell them what you should know. It's just uh, insane uh, method of teaching. I know it's Socratic method, but I remember one time raising my hand and saying, hey, we're paying a lot of money for this class. I don't really care what my fellow students think the guy meant, what he meant when he said, you know, <laughs> Judge Learned Hand said this. What's the law mean? What's anyway, I, I digress. But the point is, my main point is that going full throttle means yeah. um, living your life at full speed. And it, it means uh, not goofing off, having a mission, having a plan, having goals. I had goals. I wrote them down uh, and put them up on the wall beside my bed for 20 years, Daniel. And you know what? I did not accomplish them. My goal was to become governor of the state of Maryland. Uh, and uh, I was knocked off the horse on the way there. It still could happen, and it might happen in the future. But uh, but you know what? I believe in shooting for the stars. You'll get further than you would have if you didn't try to go as far as you can. Yeah. Yeah, well, my God, that's very well said. For all the listeners, I, I'm i really hoping that you guys really obtain that, that nugget between extreme and passion in order to get to that sweet spot that Paul just alluded. So very well said, Paul. It really resonated with me, and especially... Um, when folks look at me and they, you know, a lot of times either competitors or other guys that are looking to get into the industry, they, you know, they tell me that, oh, well, it's easy for you because you, you know, you're successful now. It's like, yeah, but it took me, it only took me 20 years, you know? <laughs> so sometimes, uh, exactly. you know, just like you mentioned it between That's right. having yep. a plan and being relentless. Cool. So Paul is, let's move in into... 
The future of transportation. Yeah, I think that's good, Daniel. Me, the future of public of transportation. Yeah. So, um, as mentioned, yeah. so I get to talk. One of the blessings and benefits of my job is I get to talk to CEOs of transit systems all the time. Uh, I've probably got two hundred of them in my contact list. You know, from you know from Andy Byford, you know, to um, people in Australia, to people across America, South America, Canada, Europe. Uh, really smart people, IT experts, and so I get the I get the sense of what's happening in our industry. And I can tell you where we're at right now. Uh, in the middle of 2023, one trend, I guess we want to talk about the trends and where we're going. There's one trend that's super hot right now. It's what I would call sizzling hot. And it's the number one trend in public transportation right now. And it is hydrogen electric powered buses. Hydrogen. So for the last three to five years, many transit agencies have doubled down on going to zero emission buses, and the only technology or the main technology that they focused on was battery electric. Uh, as of six months ago, we still only had 1,200 battery electric buses in the entire United States on the road. Uh, it takes a long time. There's a big backlog. You know, all the issues early in the Biden administration when there was uh, supply chain issues, they still haven't completely been resolved. But in the meantime, uh, public transit agencies have started to uh, analyze hydrogen fuel. Uh, just three weeks ago, I hosted an event in Nashville, Tennessee for my company. It was called the Think Transit Conference Executive Summit. And I, uh, I brought in, you know, Doran Barnes, CEO of Foothill Transit, who has the largest hydrogen fleet in America. Brought in uh, other folks. Uh, my podcast last week, Transit Unplugged, focused uh, exclusively on hydrogen powered and what's happening there. So that's a real hot trend because obviously, Dan, during the peak of the pandemic, up until then, the number one KPI for public transit agencies was increased ridership. Uh, we constantly were focused on that. I felt like that was a false idol. We'd been worshiping at the foot of a false idol. Ridership, Dan, is the one thing we don't control. Why in the heck are we using that as our main primary indicator of success? I think if you build it, they might come, but they might not come. There's lots of other factors involved. I mean, we all know back in the early 2000s with the advent of Uber and Lyft, and they took away what is called our choice riders. Everyone was concerned about ridership. And we finally had a four-year growth pattern from 2016 when Tom Lambert, the CEO of Houston Metro, rebooted his bus network. And 17, 18, 19, finally in 19, the entire industry had an increase in ridership. And then, bam, COVID hit. And ridership dropped dramatically. Commuter rail, commuter bus suffered the worst almost completely decimated the ridership. The Mark Train service, for instance, that I used to run into Washington, D.C., ridership dropped to 5% of what it was. Uh, and so that was an inflection point in our industry. Public transit agencies around the world said, you know what? What's our core purpose? What's our reason to get off to exist? What's our, what are we really all about? And I think we came to the conclusion it's not just about commuter riders taking people to the tall buildings downtown anymore. Now it's about things like... Um, stewardship of the environment. It's about adding equity and inclusion into our communities. That's why I wrote the book, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. That was number one on Amazon for six weeks at the end of last year. And it was 20 conversations with 20 top transit leaders in America about what they're doing right now to improve equity and inclusion. So uh, the environmental stewardship part has led to the battery electric and now hydrogen electric buses coming on strong. Uh, and it also has added all kinds of... Um, different uh, improvements to our public transit agencies. I'll give you one quick example. 
There's a woman who now is head of Seattle Sound Transit, Julie yes. Tim. Prior to that, she was head of um, head of Richmond, Virginia. And I asked her, what does equity inclusion mean to you in your transit agency? And she said, I'll give you one easy example. Up until now, all the bus shelters have been in the downtown of Richmond where the, where the commuters could use them, stay out of the rain, out of the sun. But out in the community, in communities of color, in low-income communities, folks where, where there's uh, elderly populations, they got what I call a stick in the mud, right? A stick, a pole in the mud which says bus stop. So she said, we're going to start being a little more equitable, a little more inclusive, and we're going to start adding bus shelters out in the communities. Things like that is what's been happening. Folks have been reevaluating what public transit means to people's lives. So it's very exciting. We live in a, a wonderful time right now. Last comment about this basically is that, you know, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act included a major increase in baseline funding for public transit in the United States, about 40% on average increase each year if it's fully funded. And so, um, and we also got billions of dollars of extra money to help us through the pandemic, lower ridership to make up for the fares that were lost during that time. But right now we're in a golden era where we've got new purpose, new vision, brand new leaders. I just hosted another panel of eight brand new CEOs of transit agencies down in Nashville who've had under one year on the job. And I can tell you, Dan, we are the up and coming leadership class is outstanding. Um, just great people like Dan, you know, um, well, I won't give names because there's so many of them, but there's so many really great, outstanding uh, CEOs coming into the industry now. And so we're in a really good place, I think, to take our industry to the next level. So are you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So, so Paul, walk us through the, the hydrogen fuel trends. Um, what is sort of your perspective between the hydrogen fuel and because uh, honestly, I'm not as fully educated on the hydrogen fuel yet. Uh, what's the difference between the hydrogen fuel and sort of the electrical vehicle component? Because, you know, most of our clients, especially in, in Fortune 1000 uh, corporations, they all want to go into the electrical vehicle space. But as you know, it's super expensive. There's a massive delay between the equipment, technicians, the whole overall infrastructure. So, like, if you could give us sort of your perspective on a high level between the hydrogen fuel and the EV perspective. Yeah, that's great, Dan. Good question. So, um, uh, again, the goal is the same, right? The goal is environmental stewardship. Uh, I mean, clean diesel got us a long way there. Uh, and now people want to go to the next step. Some people have CNG, which is a low carbon fuel, which is a good, uh, I think, uh, moving us toward the right direction. Uh, battery electric was the, was the um, first technology, but battery electric, you know, has some some flaws, some drawbacks to it. And number one is uh, the distance that a battery electric bus can travel. On average, right, it's around 150 miles on a full charge. That's what we're hearing from the industry. Some buses can go more than that, and it also depends on what um, what you have on on the bus. Do you have the heat on, the air condition, those kind of things that draws more power. Uh, and so, so one is range. Hydrogen gives you about a 300-mile uh, range. Battery electric, and remember, it is batteries. There's batteries on hydrogen buses. It is electric. It's just the fuel source isn't coming from the electric grid. It's coming from hydrogen. Uh, and so, and the only thing that comes out of the tailpipe is water. Uh, so it's clean, zero emission, just like battery electric. So the first differentiator is the distance. The second differentiator, and you know, some people was going to argue, oh no, my bus gets 225 miles. Okay, I'm just talking 
what I'm what I'm being told from the industry folks who are actually doing this day to day. The second change, the second uh, differentiator is the, the grid. I've already mentioned that. So uh, Doran Barnes, CEO of Foothill Transit, told a story publicly uh, on my podcast and um, at this live event that last summer he got a call from the California governor's office saying, hey, can you not charge your buses tonight? The grid, we're, we're almost out of, you know, the power is low on the grid. And he's like, what the heck, man? Uh, you know, and so uh, the unreliability of the grid, not just because of overuse during, you know, hot summer days, which we get, but also because of storms like Superstorm Sandy. One CEO of a transit agency in the Mid-Atlantic, I went and spoke to his staff about six months ago in a staff meeting. I asked him, how are you doing in battery electric buses? He said, Paul, I'm not going to full battery because when Superstorm Sandy came up the coast, we were out of power for days. And part of my job is to evacuate my city in a big, in a big hurricane storm. And so if, if we're relying on the grid to power all of our buses and the grid goes down because of a storm or, you know, God forbid, an earthquake in California, whatever the latest natural disaster is, we're all literally dead in the water. Uh, and, and so we can't have 100% grid-powered battery electric. That's the second uh, kind of differentiator, right, is that. And the third, I would say, that a lot of people are, are mentioning now is the fact that uh, so much of the grid is still coming from coal-powered plants. Uh, and so, and hydrogen, obviously, is a cleaner, you can do green hydrogen much easier. You can have a plant on site to make it, like Lauren Skyver did at Sunline Transit in Southern California, Coachella, California. Or you can do like Doran Barnes or other folks do, where they have it shipped in. Uh, and the, the, it's still a little pricey right now. And all these buses are a little pricier, actually a lot pricier than um, a clean diesel would be. And so uh, that's why the, the, the new Infrastructure Act and some of these other laws that were passed include funding to help people purchase these vehicles. Uh, but those are three of the big reasons why folks are, are looking into. It doesn't mean anyone's abandoning battery electric, and I'm certainly not proposing that. I think battery electric buses are great. I love them. I love being in them. I've ridden them. They're, they're, you know, they're quiet. They're great. But if we want to move fast, right, uh, we, we need to consider all the options. And this is an additional option. I would say the technology is five to seven years behind where battery electric is, in my estimation. But it's coming on fast as there are centers of excellence, the Midwest Center of Excellence, the West Coast Center of Excellence, that are looking into hydrogen and providing information. There are agencies like AC Transit in um uh, in Oakland that are comparing battery electric versus hydrogen electric and showing you know all those type of range questions and how they handle with maintenance and all that stuff. So there's a lot of information being put out there right now, a lot of groups that have information for people who want to look into it. Most people are still in a pilot stage. They're still piloting battery electric. So a lot of them are saying, you know what, let me get a couple of these hydrogen. Let's just see how they do. So I'm, I'm like... Um, very interested in that because I strongly believe in, in environmental stewardship. And so I want us to get there faster. And um, so considering other zero emission fuels or low emission fuels, I think are um, help us do that. Got it. Very well said. Thank you for sharing that knowledge, Paul. So Paul, transitioning into autonomous vehicles and flying vehicles and, and the future of public mm -hmm. transportation in, in that sector, what do you, what do you see? Yeah, very interesting, very exciting. So um, I, I was in Dubai last year. I did an episode of our Transit Unplugged TV show from there on YouTube. 
uh, which I encourage people to check out. And uh, I spoke with the CEO of the transit system there who told me, Paul, this coming year, which is 2023 now, we're going to have General Motors Cruise Corporation come in and map out our entire city of Dubai. Remember, there are city states, part of the United Arab Emirates, seven seven city states make up the UAE. And uh, when they're done, we're going to have autonomous taxi cabs with no driver, autonomous vehicles, no driver driving the whole city. Now, they're doing that now, I understand, but places out west here in the U.S. have already done it as well. And so you've got places like Las Vegas and Phoenix and others. Uh, Google Waymo is involved in it. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, you know, Lyft has done that. The, the company Lyft uh, has some vehicles that way. Uber's been working on it. They're all working on autonomous vehicles. It, it may be the way that they end up making a profit, you know, when, they're, uh, when, the, uh, when they don't have to pay the driver. But, uh, and I think some of them are close to profitability now. But there's other things going on as well. Nat Ford, the CEO of Jacksonville Transit, uh, down in Jacksonville, Florida, has a test and learn facility. We went down and filmed there for our TV show this year, where he's taking various models of, you know, small buses, 10, 11, 12 passenger uh, mini buses, let's say, that are autonomous and, you know, battery electric. And he's testing them on a, on a test track and feeding back that information to the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, letting them know how they operate in rain, how they operate in heat, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on right now. Autonomous vehicles are a niche. Uh, they, they're still finding where they fit in our overall ecosystem of public transportation. Most of them still operate with a safety concierge on board, meaning somebody who has that Xbox controller in their hand. They're able to stop or do make any, any maneuvers that need to be made. But we are fast approaching, Daniel. I think by 2024, we will start seeing vehicles on the road with no driver, and then shortly after that, no steering wheel. Then shortly after that, the seats turned around facing each other like you're in the Jetsons. Um, and uh, and so I think by 2026, it'll be more common to ride these on campus settings uh, in downtown areas. Wow. Um, those kind of things. So it's 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 already I here. 2020. You, know, you know, they've already run trucks. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other big... Uh, usage factor where there's so many um, so much issues getting CDL drivers now is I can see more and more uh, trucking companies using autonomous trucks uh, or or ones that are run by you know four or five of them can run back to back um, connected to each other with one person in a trailer you know in uh, in Nevada controlling them uh, over GPS satellite so yeah you'll you'll see um, you know I think within the next couple of years it'll be more and more common to see long trains of trucks going down the highway overnight with no driver in them. And then you come to vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, VTOLs. So um, they're very exciting. And, uh, you know, I believe that they also, it's, you know, it's basically like an Osprey helicopter that the, uh, that the Marines have. Um, And there's a lot of companies working on it and they're already working in places like Jacksonville, where I was just mentioning where they, you know, uh, you, you fly in from, another country you need medical care at the mayo clinic or some uh, top hospital there you, you hop off the airplane you get in your vertical takeoff and landing vehicle it takes you to the rooftop of the hospital you get taken down to the cancer ward and receive your treatment it's happening already uh my goal you know what i want to what i want to have happen is you know i want to get the price down so where you know for 99 dollars, i can call a vertical takeoff and landing vehicle to my front yard this would be autonomous, 
come and land in my front yard. I go get into it, and it takes me downtown to the Federal Transit Administration, drops me off on the roof for my meeting with Nuria. That, that's what I want to have happen, and I see that happening in the next five years yeah, or so. So I think that's right around the corner. The technology's already there. I, I just, totally um, go ahead. Yeah, so so I totally sorry. So the signal's a little bit weak. So I totally agree, Paul. However, sort of my challenge, based on my personal experience, I'm becoming a, a helicopter pilot right now on my spare time. And so my headquarters and my location is in Boston. And my yeah, so my main goal is to fly from Boston to Connecticut to see my kids and commute back and forth between Boston and Connecticut. But it's a main struggle. Right now in Boston, there's no really heli private helipads for helicopters. So if we still don't have private heli helipads that is easily accessible for helicopters, you know, the the uh, the Beatles is still have sort of a, you know, I will say sort of a five-year trend from my personal perspective. What is sort of your, your timeline with this sort of Beatles? Yeah, I think, I think five years is right. I think within five years, it'll become much more commonplace uh, at, um, you know, at... Uh, there's lots of airports around the country. I used to run an airport when I was county administrator of Queen Anne's County. We had a, we had a small airport called Pier One Airport. We had a helicopter pad. We had, you know, smaller um, jets and planes and kind of the fun little vehicles that you see take off flying in the sky these days. Um, and it'd be very easy for pretty much every jurisdiction in the country to have a spot where one of these VTOLs could come and land. And eventually, I don't see why they couldn't just come and land right in your front yard and take you where you need to go. I mean, if you've got a big enough spot. So uh, that I can't be, I can't wait to uh, to take a unmanned vertical takeoff and landing vehicle somewhere fun. I would love to be one of the first people to do it once it's safe. Got it. <laughs> Which so is all right. And, and Paul, will, will you say, Paul, that you will, it will, this will happen in the next five to ten years? We will be able to see these vehicles happening, or is it more for our kids or our kids' generation? I believe so. Yeah. No, I think it's with us, definitely, within five to ten years. Uh, I mean, it's already happening. So it's not like beyond, you know, it's not like going to Mars. Uh, we already have these vehicles. They already work. They've already transported people. Now it's just about scaling it and making it affordable. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's just one aspect of the overall mobility paradigm, right? So in a city now, you've got uh, kind of um, micro transit for the masses. You've got the bikes the electric bikes, you've got the electric scooters uh, strewn all over the streets of most major cities in the country. They finally got their act together and kind of a lot of cities have put in some regulations to say, you know, you just can't leave this up in a tree when you're done. You got to you got to have it go back into, a, you know, a safe spot. You can't leave them out on the road. All that kind of nonsense that was at the at the beginning of of this revolution where companies would just come and dump 500 of these uh, on the streets overnight one night. So most cities have now have regulations in place, which is great. And I love scooters. I mean, I've taken, you know, it's a great way to take a tour of a city. I remember a friend of mine, John Duncan, and I took a tour of um, Louisville, Kentucky for two hours one day, all around the, you know, the, the, the waterfront. And then recently another friend and I took, um, took scooters on a ride all over Seattle, all around the, the, the waterfront and got the great, great way to, to take your own personalized tour of the city. Uh, and the e-bikes, you know, I was just on a bike in Vancouver, a, a rental bike last week uh, in the park. They're great. Um, and so that's, you know, democratization of mobility services for everyone 
even people without driver's licenses or without a lot of money, you know, you can do that. And then you've got the autonomous vehicles coming in. Then you've got the regular buses, the light rail, the subway, the BRTs, all these different types of mass transit. And then you've got, you know, some people don't like what they call Lexus lanes, right? Which are the pay to play lanes on roads. I don't mind them personally. It takes cars off my lanes that I'm in. So anything that will reduce congestion, I'm okay with when you go into a city and, and you get stuck in there. So, you know, if they want to pay $13 to ride six miles, more power to them. Uh, if, if it'll pay for itself, it doesn't cost any tax dollars a lot of times or very little. It frees up lanes, frees up spots in my where I'm not paying for that. I'm all for that. And I'm all for vertical takeoff of landing vehicles. Again, I may not. I may not do it regularly, but there are those that will. It provides access. It gets them off the road. So again, it's about evaluating what is our overall purpose. Uh, you know, our overall purpose, I think, is to reduce congestion in major cities. It's to improve the environment. It's to provide access to all of life's opportunities through various mobility options and through all mobility options. Just like I was talking about with fuels, the same thing with mobility. Why not have every possible option available for everyone for mobility? As long as it can be done safely, efficiently, reliability, and with great customer service, which I call the, the four North Stars of any public mobility system, I think we should uh, look into it and encourage it. Again, it's not the only thing, right? Uh, but it is one piece of a mobility mosaic in every city, in any city. Totally, totally. Very well said, Paul. So Paul, sort of uh, shifting gears, for all the listeners, what would be the best personal or professional advice you ever gotten? Yeah, the best, well, I, I don't know if it's the best, but one that comes to mind right off the top of my head is, and this may seem counterintuitive, uh, but it is to care less. And what do I mean by that? So I'm very mission-oriented, and that mission orientation, you know, take the hill at all costs, has uh, hurt me many times over the years. It's two sides of the same coin, right? That's why we have to have wisdom. Uh, there are times when you have to go full throttle, but there are other times when you're in a harbor where you have to dial it back a little bit so you don't cause a wake and cause all the other boats to bounce up against each other. And so my mission orientation, like being so focused on the forest, on the, on the trees, in front, you know, that I, don't, I'm, that I don't see the whole forest, right? And so uh, I've tried to dial that back some and see a bigger perspective and to be less, I got to take that hill at all cost and more. Let me take into context the whole situation we're in here. What's my role? Is my role a change agent or is my role a cheerleader? Right now, you know, in the jobs I've been a change agent in, and I'd say this to anyone who comes into a job with a change agent, I warn you, you have a ticking time bomb, metaphorically speaking, on your back. Uh, change agents uh, will make so many changes that they will cause there to be enemies because there are people who are dedicated, bureaucratic intransigents, people who don't want change, who have a vested interest to keep things the way they are. And you come in and say, I'm going to make a bunch of changes. I'm going to improve things. They're like, oh, yeah. And so then they work against you. And they work for your downfall. It just is. It's happened to me twice. Uh, and um, uh, and so I've seen it happen. And so I was told, I want you to be a change agent in both those jobs. And so I came in with that as my mission. The first time, I was uh, kind of shocked by how things ended. The second time, not so much because I knew what happens, uh, especially in government agencies. And so uh, you have to figure out what your role is. 
Um, and uh, there are times when you have to take the hill at all costs, but there's other times when you can say, you know what, uh, that, uh, you know, um, pick and choose your battles. And that may be one where I'm not going to put it all in, all on the line. So that's my advice. Contact, figure out where you're at, what your role is. Are you a cheerleader? Are you a change agent? Are you a builder? Uh, and, uh, and operate in that paradigm. Got it. Very well said. Very well said. And chipping a little bit, Paul, what is the uh, best business books or personal books that you recommend to the audience? Um, and obviously it could include your books. And if you could tell us a little bit about your books as well, please. Sure. So uh, three books that I think are essential for any leader. The first book is by Stephen Covey. It's called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a building block book. It's um, it is uh, a personal development book, and obviously, you know, you need to be developed as a person individually uh, to move into leadership. And so, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I actually had his son, Stephen M. R. Covey, on my podcast recently. It was quite an honor. Uh, the second book I would call is Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, one of the best books I've read, you know, in the last decade or two. And it basically analyzes um, how we make judgments in the blink of an eye. And, uh, and helps us make better judgments, thin slice, as we evaluate situations, as we evaluate the people in our lives, as we evaluate ourselves. Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. And then the third book is Freakonomics. Uh, Freakonomics teaches us to follow the money. Uh, a good example would be that, uh, that he talks about, and this is a paraphrase, obviously, but um, you know, understanding that people are motivated by money and understanding what motivates them. And so you might look at a realtor, a realtor, you're selling your house for $320,000. And the realtor says, you know, you need to cut 10,000 off. You just, you just need to do it if you're going to sell it. And you're, you know, you think the realtor has your best interest in mind and they might, and they probably do. But realizing that to the realtor, uh, you know, if there's a 6% commission, it's split between the buyer and seller's realtors. So your realtors, 3%. After they split it with their, after he splits it with his agency he works for, he's making one and a half percent. So for you, dropping the cost of your house $10,000 costs you $10,000. To the realtor, it may only cost him a couple hundred bucks in lost commission, but he's going to get a commission versus not. And so just understanding that, that's the example I always use when people ask me what that book's about. Just understanding where people are coming from, what's motivating them, how much money they are or not, or what their purpose is. That's why, you know, when you talk to an attorney, a lot of times they'll say, you know, remember, I'm not representing you. I'm representing the other party. I can give you advice, but I'm, re that's, so you have to understand um, the situation around you. So those are the three books uh, that I would recommend anybody take a look at. So, so I've tried to write a book a year. Yep, yep. Uh, and um, yeah, so I've written five books now. Uh, the first one is Full Throttle, Living Life to the Max with No Regrets. Uh, that's the book that tells stories from my career, but also nine other CEOs. So 10 CEOs of in public transit industry, lessons we learned in our career. Really good stuff. Uh, a lot of fun too, you know, biographical in nature. Uh, the next book I wrote was called The Future Public Transportation. That's the book whose poster is behind me on the wall, right behind me. And that's my bestseller uh, by far so far. And I'm excited to tell you that I've recently, and I'm breaking news on your podcast, I just recently last week signed a, a book publishing contract with SAE, the Society of Automotive Engineers. Uh, most people in the industry are really familiar with them. Uh, they you know, kind of print the Bibles of our industry when it comes to automotives and, and uh, vehicles, et cetera. And so 
They have a publishing arm, and I've signed a contract with them to write a new version, a second edition of the book, The Future of Public Transportation. I'll have 20 new chapters about all the latest trends that are happening in the industry, and they'll be written by leading experts. Just like my first book was, the one right behind me, was written by 40 of the world's leading public transportation experts. Each one wrote a different chapter on a different topic about what the future holds. It still sells. It's still, a, it's still a bestseller. You go on Amazon under Mass Transit Books. It's still on usually the top 100 books, even though it's uh, four years old now, I think. Uh, and then I wrote a children's book called Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. It's a fun book uh, with illustrations. It was my COVID lockdown project, Dan. You know, remember when it first happened and we couldn't really get out of the house too much? So I work with an illustrator online. We had a Sunday date every Sunday where we would talk about it. I, I did research. I wrote the book out, decided what I wanted, what the pictures to look like. And it is, uh, I have it in Spanish and Portuguese, as well as in English. And it's available on Amazon. It's a great way to introduce young people to the concept. My next book, which is coming out uh, in the month of May 2023, is Comfort Food, as I already mentioned. And it's got um, 32 recipes from transit CEOs around the world and transit influencers. I basically wanted to show a different side of their lives and it's fun because it, it takes us inside their kitchen. So, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the CEO of a major transit system with taking pictures of him or her in their kitchen, making the food with their kids, uh, and then little stories behind it. You know, the editor of Mass Transit Magazine talking about how her grandmother used to make this. Um, and, you know, the, the former FTA administrator um, talking about Charleston and her son and, and oysters and how they come from there in the background and uh, a good buddy of mine in uh, in London talking about Scotch eggs. It's, it's one of the most well-written chapters in the book about how he and his uh, uh, fiance went on a boat, on a sailboat down the coast of England and got into this place, into a harbor because of a bad storm. And they went into a place and ate these Scotch eggs. And, you know, a lot of people haven't even heard of that here in the United States, but they're phenomenal. They're like uh, bo- hard-boiled eggs, you know, wrapped in uh, uh, sausage and bacon and then uh, with like a breading on it and then fried. <laughs> it is to die for, literally. So, but anyway, a lot of great recipes in the book, a lot of fun. And so that'll be coming out. The ebook's already up on Amazon and the, and the hardback book will be available this month as well. So um, so that's a look at what my books are. God. Again, I encourage people also to check out our TV show, Transit Unplugged TV. Our, uh, our best performing episode is our episode from Singapore that I visited a couple months ago. The LTA is one of the world's best public transit systems. I was able to take a deep dive in it with their deputy CEO, Jeremy Yap, and we've got almost 25,000 views now on YouTube. Um, you know, that's not like the millions that superstars get, but for our industry, it's pretty good. So I encourage people to check it. It's short 15-minute shows, 13-minute uh, shows, and they, they we take you inside the food, the culture, and the public transit of a different city every month. Awesome. Awesome. So, Paul, for again, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on, on our show. It's definitely been one of the best episodes that we have recorded so far. So thank you for dropping so many bombs of uh, wisdom and, and experience. For all the listeners, how can they stay in touch with you? What how, they, how can they follow the work that you do, your books, and so forth? Yeah. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn and connect with me. I put up a post every day. I have about 24,000 folks I'm LinkedIn with. I have a website uh, called thefutureofpublictransportation.com. Uh, not the word the, just futureofpublictransportation.com and then paulcomfort.org. I'm also on Instagram, 
Comforts Corner 2023. I change the end every year to update it to where the year's at. Uh, I've got about 4,000 followers on that. And so, and then I'm on Twitter at Comfort Paul. So those are great ways to connect up with me. And if you're listening and you work for a public transit agency, if I can ever be of assistance to you, drop into a staff meeting and do a talk on transit trends. I do that free of charge. I'm a transit evangelist. Uh, and uh, my goal is to promote public mobility, all the good things that we do for people. Uh, and and I think that one of the best ways to do it is to shine the light on best practices so that we can learn from each other. And that's what the podcast is about. Transitunplugged.com is the website for our podcast. Uh, and you can pick it up on any of the media platforms. Uh, as I mentioned, we're heard in 130 countries around the world. So um, you can listen to a different CEO or transit executive every week on Wednesdays on the podcast. Awesome. So with that being said, again, thank you very much, Paul. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. For all the listeners, make sure you like and subscribe. And again, thank you for listening to the Future Ground Transportation Podcast. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for tuning in to the Future of Ground Transportation. We appreciate you coming along for the ride. If you found value in this episode and want to hear more, please make sure to subscribe to the show.